from the philanthropies. I mean, you know, the usual uh, controversy, uh, if aid uh, or the way it was structured before was helpful, uh, Africa would be fully developed. I really think that if you want to build a sustainable long-term country and ecosystem, you need to to invest, meaning that if a project or company are sustainable, they will generate returns and profits that you can share with, with the founders. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Aid Evolved, and I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This season, we're talking to the investors and donors who are working on new ways to fight poverty, improve lives, and create wealth in Africa. Today, I have a very special guest for you. Her name is Hana Subai Kamwanga. She is a member of the Investment Committee for Launch Africa, which just happens to be the most active seed investor in the tech scene in Africa today. She's also the country director for the Democratic Republic of the Congo of Proparco, France's development finance institution. And on top of all of that, she's an active angel investor and co-founder of Dazzle Angels, which was the first angel club to invest exclusively in women-led tech startups in South Africa. Today, we're going to talk about Hannah's journey for managing a billion-dollar fund, yeah, you heard me, to her work sowing the seeds for new ventures in Africa. She's financed the building of cell phone towers, which we need to make mobile phones work on this continent, and she's bootstrapping the health tech entrepreneurs that will change the sector in the years to come. I hope this conversation helps you understand a little bit more about the role that private financing can play in Africa. And last but not least, we'll provide a snapshot of the Congo, told by one of its stars, a complex country which is both one of the poorest and the richest in the world. Just before we dive in today, a quick word from our sponsor, Idealist.org. This is a website I used myself when I was first trying to break into the nonprofit space. It happens to be the number one job board for the social impact sector. Whether you're hiring for a nonprofit, a business with a socially responsible position, or a company with a social mission, Idealist is the best way to reach an engaged community of millions, all looking to make the world a better place. You can sign up to start posting jobs today by going to idealist.org aid to get a credit for one free 30-day job listing. Now, on to our show. My first question for Hannah, how did you get started in this space? So as I said, I'm originally from Congo, uh, but actually graduated from uh, business school and law school in Paris in France. And I started my career as an investment banker in London. And actually in London, I was mainly covering developed markets. But actually in the back of my mind, I always knew that one day I want to go back home in DRC and to invest in my own country. But I needed to build the founding, you know, like stones and steps uh, to be able to acquire the right uh, technical skills, the right credibility in the market to do so which is why I spent approximately four years, I think, in London as an investment banker. And uh, the day Hen Hunter called me talking about a position uh, in Africa to become a portfolio manager uh, and a private equity uh, you know, professional, I was like, yes, I'm up for it. Uh, <laughs> so this was actually in 2013. And it was quite funny because at the time, Africa was not as fashionable as it is today, that's for sure. And uh, when it came to investments, uh, people were talking mainly about emerging markets, which included, you know, Asia and Latin America. And Africa was really a small segment of that emerging market story. So the hen hunter starting to talk to me. So in my head, I was thinking, okay, probably he will talk about Legos or Nairobi, potentially Joburg, but I'm not sure I would go to Joburg. And then he started to be like, yes, a position. They are looking for, you know, an investment banker, French speaking from Africa. Uh, and the position is based in Cape Town. And I was like, in Cape what? <laughs> um, as you can imagine, actually in French, we call the city Le Cap. So um, I was like, okay, let's give it to go. Okay, before we get too deep into the episode, I'm going to put a little explainer in here because I know a lot of you are not finance experts. Full disclosure, I'm not a finance expert either, but it's useful to know a thing or two. Let me explain what Hannah's talking about when she talks about private equity, venture capital, and angel investment. First, private equity firms. These are the large funds, think hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars, that buy and restructure and refinance established companies. Because they're established, they already have a sense of the product and the revenue and the costs. So they can be quite quantitative in the changes that they make to increase a company's value. 
Venture capital, probably the most famous of the bunch, provide financing to early stage companies, usually used to buy a part of the company, known as equity, in exchange for the risk that such early stage companies typically carry. And last but not least, we have angel investment. This is typically done by an individual, not a firm, because the risk threshold is so high. And this is money that goes to founders who are very early stage, before they've gotten to a point where a traditional fund or even a traditional venture capital fund is willing to invest. In the conversation ahead, as we explore that transition from large private equity firms to venture capital funds to angel investing, you can see how the risk increases, but also the possibility for change. And, uh, you know, I knew that after a few years of investment banking in London, in developed markets, I wanted to spend a few years investing in Africa to uh, get to know the continent a bit more, to discover a lot of countries, uh, and then move back to the RC. So I was very grateful that, uh, you know, the relationships, the interview process worked really well. I moved to Cape Town uh, and uh, I became an investment director in a $1 billion fund. At the time, we raised uh, three funds to manage accounts. Uh, our strategy was really focusing on private equity assets, uh, meaning that we had the ability to invest in private equity funds in companies and do what we call secondary transactions. Uh, secondary transactions is a financial transaction whereby you will acquire a portfolio of assets of companies from an existing investor. Uh, so this was a fantastic mandate. Uh, I had the opportunity to travel, uh, do, do due diligence and invest uh, all over the continent, including uh, you know, North Africa, Egypt, Morocco, West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, obviously, but also Ivory Coast. East Africa, Southern Africa. Uh, we also had an office in Mauritius, so I had the opportunity to uh, spend some time in Mauritius. Uh, but I guess after uh, five years, I started to become a bit, uh, you know, Board is definitely not a word, but uh, at the back of my mind, uh, a sound started to, to come up and I was like, okay, wait a minute, two things. First of all, you remember you were supposed to go back home in the RC, uh, but I still, I still wanted and needed to do it through the right financial institution, the right way, right? So I had to wait for these sort of unicorns or great invest, uh, investment institution who do the RC, which took a while. But then the second music was actually I've been uh, investing, you know, in um, private equity uh transaction sizes around, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30 million dollars. So I don't feel that I have a direct impact myself in startups and SMEs. Uh, so I feel like I would like to, to you know, really uh, start building the next phase of, of founders. And by founders, I mean diverse founders, including, you know, women, including underrepresented founders. Uh, and this is in, the, in this context that I started, uh, you know, with a few friends, uh, Dazzle Angels, where uh, we decided to invest in uh, women-led tech businesses. So um, this was back in 2019. It has been a fantastic journey. Uh, so that at this stage, uh, the club is fully invested uh, and have been able to use all these experience at Dazzle Angels. When I moved back to the RC last year and where I decided also to start an investment club so to invest directly in companies as well. Um, and then indeed in 2020, in the middle of COVID, <laughs> And Hunter Yikes. again calling me. Uh, hey, DFI is looking for someone to run their operation in DRC. Do you, I know it's a challenging time. It feels like it's the end of the world, but are you interested? In and I was like, yes, of course. When can I move? <laughs> wow, serendipity. I, yeah. So from Cape Town, I did all the interview process literally online. So this is really recruiting, uh, uh, you know, in the COVID world. And uh, I think until moment. Uh, the ProParco team uh, was wondering in January 2021 whether uh, these uh, little Hannah that they saw uh, online uh, by phone would actually show up uh, in Kinshasa <laughs> and in Douala and I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's amazing how recruitment works. So it has been a pleasure for me to be back home and yeah, uh, so running uh, operations for ProParco, which is again the French DFI. So uh, it is the equivalent for you guys in South Africa of uh, DBSA, you know, the Development Bank of South Africa, the equivalent mm -hmm. of the IFC for the US or uh, CDC BII for, for the UK. ProParco is a DFI. That stands for Development Finance Institution. 
This means a financial institution that provides cash to support economic development projects. Typically, DFIs are owned by governments and nonprofit organizations that provide loans on better terms than a traditional bank. Paparco, for example, is majority owned by the French Development Agency. Uh, I'm in charge of the portfolio of investments, but also in charge of the portfolio of institutional relationships uh, with uh, ministers, embassies, and so on and so forth. Uh, so on top of being an impact investor, so dealing with companies and projects, as a, a huge portion of my portfolio is also to deal with public entities. And this was definitely a, a new layer of uh, competencies, uh, <laughs> I would say, that I, that I had to acquire. So uh, it has been a fantastic journey. How do you mean? Well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm Congolese. Also, I guess part of me is French, part of me is also South African. But uh, I had underestimated, indeed, the level of cultural uh, differences you have between the Francophone universe and, uh, you know, the Anglo-Saxon or even the North African universe in terms of mindset, in terms of how people do things, how they do business, how they operate. And indeed, uh, the Francophone universe tend to be, whether it's the DRC universe or even, you know, the French side, uh, tends to be much more, you know, bureaucratic, formal. You have to be much more careful in terms of who you are dealing with, how you express yourself, uh, regardless of the quality of the product you deliver. Uh, so it has been quite interesting to see how you have to, to adapt. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, I keep saying uh, people think that being a successful investor is about numbers. They do say that. No, an investor, it's about good with people. At the end of the day, uh, if you have the ability to identify the right talent, meaning the right management team, to understand whether they have the ability to build a successful venture corporate with the right product at the right price, uh, with the right cost structure. So this is, you know, the, the business you're backing. And then it's about you understanding the ecosystem. So the public agencies that are regulating, you know, the, the industry, understanding the sector, the market, the competitive dynamic. And all of that, to, to, to understand this framework, obviously you need to be able to do the right uh, due diligence as an investor. And how can you do the right due diligence? You need to call people. Right. And how will you trust that you will get the right information from the people that you need? You need to get, have great relationship with them. So it's quite uh, interesting uh, to see that. And I think uh, DRC and the world of DFI is really a good mix of, of the fact that impact investing is uh, at the end of the day uh, uh, about uh, people. Uh, and I guess at some point also about numbers. Next up, I asked Hannah what I thought was an innocent question. It was something about how she decided to serve her community or make an impact in Congo. And her answer really surprised me. I want to share it with you because it was a moment that put me face to face with my own biases about Congo. The assumptions I hold, the way I think about that country, where, by the way, my sister lives. But Congo is immense, one of the most populous countries in the world. In terms of natural resources, it could be the richest country in the world. And that's a side we don't talk about enough. So, so now I just want to jump back on something you said. You were like, you want to give back to your country. I'm not giving back to my freaking country. I want to make money in my country. Uh, DRC is definitely a very attractive uh, investment destination. We had our fair share of uh, historical economical struggles, that's for sure. Uh, but if you look at the trajectory of DRC in the past four years, the political environment has stabilized. The macro environment uh, is uh, very helpful. We actually have a very low level of inflation, of FX volatility compared to the vast majority of African countries. Last acronym for today, FX. That stands for foreign exchange, and it's basically a financier's term of saying currency exchange rates. For example, let's say you invest a dollar in a Sudanese startup. Even if that startup can turn that dollar into $2, if at the same time the Sudanese pound devalues by three times, you're still losing money. And that happened in Sudan this year. 
uh, naming without shame uh, Nigeria and Ethiopia. So you have the ability here uh, to find a really good companies and projects who have the ability to deliver an attractive, uh, attractive returns. Uh, so for me, it's really amazing to be here in Kinshasa. I've been a few times to Goma, Bukavu as well in the eastern part of the country, uh, to uh, Lumbashi uh, in the south of the country. So DRC is a continent in a country and it's very interesting to see what are the sectors that are the most conducive to investments. I have spoken about healthcare, education. I also have uh, the ability to invest in the agri-sector, telecommunications, renewable energy, I mean, you name it. I would say the only thing that Proparco, I mean, the main institution that I represent here, wouldn't do is what I would classify as leisure industry, uh, whether it's right or wrong, but we wouldn't do, for instance, tourism or entertainment industry. But outside of that, there are uh, really a lot of sectors in which we can have an impact. Uh, what I like now, I'm going to be a bit more technical uh, when it comes to investment. We have the ability to do project financing, uh, aka investing in infrastructure, including renewable energy, transport and telecommunications. But we also have the ability to invest through private equity strategies, uh, meaning that we will acquire a minority position in companies. And typically, uh, we can also do venture capital, meaning we can invest in early stage startups. Uh, so typically, we will go as low as $3 million, I guess, when it comes to uh, the ticket size that we, we can invest in a company. And uh, then we can invest larger amounts in, uh, in bigger projects. We provide all uh, long-term funding solutions. So it's quite exciting for me to, 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 be, uh, to be in that position. Yeah, it's amazing to hear the different kinds of investment and support mechanisms that ProParco has for different ventures and different sectors in DRC. Um, and also, I love the way that you speak to the opportunity. I'm sure there's all sorts of uh, misrepresentation of like the state of the country and its uh, the state of its economy. Um, and to the extent that there are people that you sharing the truth, I think that's, let's build on that voice. Let's amplify that signal. It has been a huge part of my uh, sort of professional but mainly personal mandate to give more visibility uh, to the DRC ecosystem because, uh, you know, in my position, if I don't do it, uh, who will do? There are not too many Congolese uh, professionals with uh, my level of expertise and credibility in the investment space. So from this perspective, we are also, you know, a frontier market. We are lacking uh, human capital. Uh, and it's very interesting for me to see that in the past six months, I've seen really an increase in interest from international investors uh, DMing me, saying, hey, Hannah, do you have 30 minutes? We want to talk about DRC. We want to understand this country a bit more. Uh, try to understand what type of opportunity we can find there. Uh, so I'm very, very very hopeful that in the next few months we see uh, more private capital, uh, you know, injected in the RC, and uh, that uh, uh, you know, we'll, uh, the country will uh, be treated the way uh, it should be treated at par with uh, with other African countries. So it's quite exciting. Absolutely, I hope for that as well, Hannah. In your long experience trying to trying to make your contribution. I know you don't you don't think of it as impact investing. It's just investing in a place where there's lots of opportunity. Um, but in that journey that you have investing in, in Africa writ large, do you have any experiences that you can share of of what that journey has been like for you? Like the moments when I'm sure even maybe when you're starting out your career, when you're starting out in angel investing I think investing in Africa is so exciting. And I mean, obviously, as I said, I'm Congolese, uh, I'm African, I'm Black. Uh, I think that even if I was not from Africa, I would love to invest in Africa because here it's really about growth capital. You are funding companies who are growing, um, creating jobs, uh, developing infrastructure. Uh, you are really assisting companies in terms of optimizing their operations, helping them setting up a CRM system, a, a counting system, ERP system. So it's really, really fascinating how you can uh, transform a company and an ecosystem and have a real tangible impact. I would say uh, what I loved about this, this job, and especially when I moved to Cape Town, is the level of flexibility you need to have as an investor. You need to identify who you are dealing with 
and you need to adapt your style to uh, the person you're speaking with. Um, obviously, uh, you're African, uh, you're francophone, uh, you're young, you're a woman. So uh, in some countries, uh, some people were like, mm, are you sure the CEOs of large corporates will actually take you seriously? Uh, well, mm. yes, if you know how to deal with them. Uh, and obviously, depending on the country in which I'm, I'm operating and depending on the sectors uh, I'm dealing with, I don't behave the same way as an investor, Right. So I will tell you the first, uh, one of the worst mistakes I had made early uh, in my career. It was my first trip to Kenya. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was in a scenario where, uh, I make the story short, but let's say that the CEO who was in front of me had made a mistake. His whole team was behind him. And then he started to uh, still try to justify like what he was doing. Um, and because he was... Um, Talking while he was, uh, you know, guilty of um, and, and made a mistake. Obviously, I answered back firmly without shouting, but I sent back saying, "Sir, I'm sorry, but you made a mistake. This is not mm -hmm. acceptable. It's not the level of professionalism we would have, uh, you know, expected." This type of thing, and then I could see this old uh, sir starting to collapse a bit. In my head, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I say? I mean, my words are a bit harsh, but he's also a bit aggressive towards me and I'm not even shouting. And I was also in front of my own clients, so I couldn't be in a situation where my clients would think that, oh, people can walk all over and up. What a so tough situation. Like, okay. Yes. Yikes. That, so that sounds heavy. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. Africa, I would have been sweating Africa. bullets in your shoes. <laughs> And, and, and by the way, uh, I keep saying, frankly, business schools, um, and I went to the sort of best business schools um, in France and to some extent in Europe in, some, uh, in the FT ranking, they don't teach you about that. No, not <laughs> they at teach all. You about Only life will. Compliance, but in real life in Africa, it's like, hey, you can, you know, tear those books. I should actually write a book about how to, to invest in Africa because it has nothing to do with what we learned in university. So anyway, we went back to the hotel. Uh, actually, those were uh, many South African clients. So they were, I was like, guys, I'm very confused because earlier today, I feel like I was very rude to the guy. Maybe my English was not what I expected to be. And they were like, no, no, Anna, you were actually absolutely right. And we are fully backing you. But the only thing that you underestimated is that we are in Kenya. In Kenya, they are not used to see women being so loud and answering back. So he was just surprised that you were answering back as a woman. Huh. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, fine. Because then I called one of my friends who is also like from uh, uh, Nigeria, Congo, right? And I was like, and I knew she had worked in Kenya for some time. And she was like, oh yeah, Hannah, if you are in Kenya, you need to tone down. Uh, if you are too harsh uh, or aggressive in the way you express yourself, you will lose a client who will feel like, you know, he's a bit uncomfortable. But on the contrary, if you are doing business and investing in a jail or in DRC, you need to make sure that you come across as aggressive. Otherwise, people will think that you're weak. So you have to change your professional style. Wow. So you need to really target it for the country that you're yes. in. Yes. And a lot of people, especially when they are not living or I would say uh, dealing with Africa very often, they underestimate that. And then they will just be like, yeah, we tried to do business in Africa. It didn't work. Yeah, well, because you didn't do your work well as an investor. <laughs> uh, it's quite funny um, because here now in DRC, uh, I will give you another mm -hmm. example of how you have to be adaptable and flexible as an investor because you don't need to forget you have an objective as an investor. It's to get uh, the right level of information, whether it's financial information, commercial information, uh, getting the information for, from the politician to understand whether uh, you know the law will move your way or not. So you need to adapt your style in order to get your objective. And this has nothing to do with, oh, but I'm a woman, I want to express myself a certain way, or I'm a guy, or no, you need to do your work properly, which means that you need to be flexible. So for instance, here in DRC, I always know that, okay, if I have a meeting with businessmen, you need to look a bit feminine, uh, the dress will be a bit shorter, you put a bit more makeup, and you will be able to be seen as professional because businessmen here, when they deal with a woman, if you don't show a certain level of femininity, they will say, ah, this woman, she doesn't know how to handle herself, so you can't really trust her to do business. I'm exaggerating really? a bit, but it's just to make a point, right? Yeah. And by the way, yeah. it's the same in some other countries uh, everywhere in the world. But now, when I have meetings with politicians here, I know, okay, politicians are very concerned 
intuitive. So obviously the dress needs to be much longer. You put less makeup and the way you express yourself, you have to be much more, you know, formal and respectful and his excellency and blah, blah. So it's a different style. But it makes the job like even like more entertaining because every day is a completely <laughs> different story. So it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. <laughs> Hannah is known in the investment space for being an equity expert, a champion for female entrepreneurs. So I had to ask her, how did you become so passionate about women and diversity in tech? Have you personally had to deal with discrimination and pushback because of who you are or how you were born? Um, so when I said that for five years in my previous mandate, I was very happy managing $1 billion, investing in large corporates, I became also frustrated because uh, when you see the pitch deck, you start realizing that the management teams or the shoulders are all uh, male, uh, are still predominantly white, or maybe a few yes. Arabic people, maybe a few black people, but you know, it's just not the level of representation and diversity you would like to see in an African continent. And this mm -hmm. is also what led me to become an angel investor. Where I was like, I want to be able to back the next wave of diverse founders, black male, uh, mixed male, Indian uh, people, female uh, from Africa who will be in five, 10 years running large corporates. The next time when private equity firms come to Africa, they will also have the opportunity to invest in those businesses. Yes, Amen. this was also... I'm with but, I mean, you, you know, 100%. the controversies that we see very often, especially in the startups uh, ecosystem in Africa, right, where uh, it seems that uh, a large proportion of, of the funding is still not going necessarily to uh, local African founders. Uh, and from this perspective, I'm very pleased to say that with Launch Africa Ventures, 91% of our portfolios is invested in local African founders. 25% uh, nice. of our founders are female. It's not enough. 25% is not 50-50, but still we are way above uh, global and African averages. Uh, and it's one of my personal statements, and I'm making sure as a, as a very active uh, investment committee uh, member and more that uh, when it comes to our exposure to local African founders, uh, to women, uh, and even to frontier markets, right? We have invested in DRC, in Tanzania, even in freaking Sudan. And obviously, we are still making sure that our investment criteria and that our returns will be met, right? We are not decreasing uh, our expectations, but we are just keeping an open mind and saying, even if you're coming from a frontier market or an underrepresented re uh, you know, demographics, we are still going to give you a chance if you meet our criteria. So it's quite, uh, it's quite uh, interesting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in that journey of investments, that you've made, maybe in particular speaking to other investors who are coming to Congo and want to invest in the country and the opportunity. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more, both about the challenge as well as the opportunity. Like what are some of the things um, in your investments before Proparco or doing Proparco um, that other investors, other risks uh, that other investors should be mindful of and opportunities okay. that you really no, see? Good point. Uh, so I would say, first of all, you need to understand uh, the country in which you are investing, right? Uh, you have to understand the level of uh, country risk, uh, macro risk, uh, economic risk, uh, which varies from a country to another one. If you invest in dollars and you decide to invest in, um, you know, Ivory Coast or in uh, form of an Africa, which is whose currency is the franc CFA. The franc CFA is linked to zero, so you might be running some FS effects risk, which is not the case if you invest in dollars in DRC and you are a dollar investor. So one of the key reasons why people have lost money in Africa in the past 10 years is this uh, issue of effects depreciation and not understanding the country in which you invest. However, this being said, I keep saying uh, two stories. There are two countries uh, which had the same sort of level of political shenanigans, massive effects depreciation overnight, uh, Egypt and Nigeria, like between 2015 and 2020. And yet Egypt was our best performing countries in my previous funds, while Nigeria, ooh, the returns were not so great. Uh, so this, <laughs> this is a demonstration that as an impact investor, even if you are in a tough market going through political upheaval, uh, effects depreciation, and other market disruptions, if you back the right team with the right investment 
uh, thesis and business case, you can still make money. Uh, so for instance, in Egypt, we were in a scenario where uh, we invested in a local business which was producing, uh, you know, biscuits. And the day there was a political upheaval and a depreciation, all the international companies uh, like uh, Nestle and all these guys actually left the countries. So all the Egyptians had wow. to come to our local shops to buy their biscuits. And then you can see that our market share went up. We actually made a lot of money, right? Yes. Where people who have said, oh no, uh, there is a political upheaval, don't invest in the countries. That's not true. And it's not how you should think about Africa, uh, generally speaking. Even in tough situation, you can make a lot of money. On the opposite, there are a lot of countries where um, on the face of it, oh, the GDP growth is 8%. So if I invest in any companies, I will, my uh, returns will be 8% in dollars. It's not how it works. Otherwise, uh, anyone could do it. Uh, and I would uh, happily go to the Bahamas, uh, sitting under the sun and make money, right? So this was quite interesting. Uh, understanding the country and the sector in which you operate. Challenge number two, the people. Again, at the end of the day, the people, the people, the people. Uh, and you have to understand that, uh, especially in Francophone Africa, we guess, Companies will not open their books, will not be uh, necessarily very open when it comes to you uh, if they don't really know you, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. Africa remains a market where the, the personal relationship is really important. It's not like Europe where uh, when you want to do private equity transactions, uh, you speak with the CEO, he will send you the financial statements and you can just deal like that without even you know having this specific human uh, interaction. In Africa, you need to make sure that people know you, trust you, uh, and then you can start doing business. So I keep saying, and in DRC, it's even worse, right? I keep saying, uh, exagger exaggerating a bit that before, what used to take me one hour, whether it's like getting financial information from a client or, uh, you know, building my model, here it will take me five to 10 hours. Because wow. you will need at least seven to eight meetings with the same clients. Hey, let's have a coffee. Hey, let's have lunch. Hey, let's... Uh, and you're like, okay, I still don't know what type of numbers you're doing, but I'm playing the game. And then meeting the bite. Hey, actually, my turnover is that. How is it? Cool. So you, you, you have to be patient. And unfortunately, a lot of international investors overlook this aspect of doing business. And then they were like, oh, but it's tough to do business in Africa. We can't get the right level of information. Well, because things work differently, right? Um, I don't have a lot of experience when it comes to uh, other markets like Latin America or Asia, but I'm sure that in some of those countries, probably you would have the same sort of uh, features or characteristics. I think that's a really important message, Hannah. Like, I think a lot of international investors you know, say it's going to be hard, but actually there is this aspect of doing the groundwork, meeting the people, building those relationships. And let's face it, in America, you don't, you don't feel like it's an effort because a lot of investors who are from America or from Europe, exactly. uh, it's their home country. So like maybe the, this relationship building thing, it's not crazy. It's not, it's not a, it's not a Congolese thing or an African thing. It's people. Yeah, exactly. Because would you invest in Poland or in Germany, uh, sitting uh, in Austin or, or in San Francisco? Probably not, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's important to, to take that aspect into account. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, are there any investments, again, from any stage of your career that you're personally most proud of or happy with when you look back on it, some of the successes that you want to celebrate with us? That's a very good question. Uh, my level of hesitation comes from the fact and I know a lot of private equity investors feel like that in Africa. It's like uh, you've done those uh, massive transactions with large corporates and uh, listed, not listed, and, and uh, it's all great, but you don't necessarily feel like you had the on-the-ground impact on SMEs that uh, we should have had. I don't know if that makes sense. But otherwise, I'm very pleased with the work that I've done in the telecommunication sector. Uh, we had invested in a bunch of uh, telecommunication towers companies, the like of IHS and HTA, who are now listed uh, in London and in the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and obviously, uh, the level of connectivity has improved a lot in many African countries, including in DRC. Uh, so I think when it comes to the work we've done in the telecommunication sector, that's a big tip. Very proud of it. I think I was quite keen also on uh, the healthcare investments we did in North Africa, uh, where we invested in a bunch of uh, chains of clinics and hospitals, uh, helping those clinics uh, expand geographically, opening new centers, uh, especially in Egypt, in Morocco, uh, but also to uh, diversify the type of services that they were offering, opening, uh, you know, oncology 
services, for instance. So that was great as well. Uh, but I guess, yeah, I'm very pleased uh, to be here uh, in DRC, trying to make a difference in a frontier market. Uh, and even here, spending a lot of time creating the ecosystem, aka educating the market, educating the CEOs, explaining to them how they have to work with international uh, investors, how they have to put their books together, their financial statements, how they have to build investor presentation, how they have to, to interact with us. I mean, here after uh, two years, so many, uh, you know, very wealthy, high profile CEOs telling me, Hannah, you made a difference now. Uh, since you've been here last year, we, we've understood so many things about how to to, to try to expand internationally. So frankly, it's it's very tough. I'm not going uh, to lie. Uh, sometimes it's very slow, very bureaucratic. But yeah, it's very rewarding. And uh, I do feel like now it's starting to pay off a bit. That sounds like super important work. I'm a huge fan of creating that opportunity and that appetite and that, that skill in Congo. Can I ask two follow-up questions? First, on the telecommunications side, you know, as someone who's in the tech sector, having that infrastructure, it feels so essential to me. You know, if you can't connect, if you don't have cell phone reception, you can't get access to the thousands of other innovations. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, I was attending um, the, the National Telecommunications uh, Conference uh, two weeks ago with the Minister of uh, Telecommunications and all the big uh, telco companies here um, and someone was saying exactly what you said the telecommunication is great people can have a phone I mean telecommunications is really at the heart of literally every other sector, right? When we talk about agri-tech, when we talk about health tech, uh, telecommunication and, the, and um, you know, the technology has the ability to unlock so much opportunities, so many opportunities in Africa. If you look at the agriculture sector, there are so many small farmers who are living in the middle of the jungle, I'm exaggerating a bit, who don't have access to markets, who don't know how to buy entrance uh, uh, seeds. So the fact that they now have just through their phones the ability to you know uh, buy at the right price, uh, insurance, uh, find buyers, uh, find the right uh, transport and logistics uh, to move their goods is really a, a massive uh, change in their life. I could make the same uh, comparison when it comes to the healthcare sector. If you're living uh, in, in a village far from the city in Africa, obviously having the ability to have a video conference with a doctor who is going to help you with, you know, the diagnosis and stuff, it's really, really transforming. Education is the same. So for me, telecommunication is so, so critically important. And for me, it's not one sector among the other one. It's literally the foundation of all sectors, especially when it comes to Africa and, and the level of impact we need to have. Hannah, you take the words right out of my mouth. I love how you're describing that, what we've established and the future that it can lead to. Can I ask on the healthcare side, because this is something uh, that I've struggled with myself as well. Can you talk a bit about what made that healthcare investment so effective? On the one hand, like obviously healthcare is a basic human right. It's something that every government should invest in. And But then on terms of like the private investment side, something about making the economics of it work out so that you can actually serve that market, um, but balance your books and make it profitable. Can you just say a few words for other Health tech so so you health have countries. noted that have uh, spoken about North Africa, right? And North Africa, the, the level of uh, purchasing power is much higher. Uh, there is a social security in some of those countries or uh, medical insurance is taken uh, care of by the employers. So there is actually money to be spent on healthcare. Um, and that's why as a private investor, you can actually uh, put in place a type of strategies of backing and investing in, um, you know, healthcare institutions because you know that at the end of the day, money is generated. And unfortunately, when it comes to sub-Saharan Africa, it's very difficult to find uh, sustainable, profitable business models uh, in the healthcare industry. But again, if I'm switching my hat and I'm moving back to launch Africa Ventures, uh, it's quite interesting to see how we have backed few health tech uh, ventures who are trying to solve this issue. Uh, so if we talk about uh, Waspito, which is now in Cameroon, uh, Waspito is the equivalent of Okay, so in France, we call it Doctolib, but it's a platform where patients can uh, directly select the type of doctors that they need. They can have video conferences. They can even buy medicine, which is not counterfeited online. By the way, you know that uh, fake medication is really a problem uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, like even in the URC. 
uh, it's insane. Like um, my nanny who lives like, uh, you know, in a, in a neighborhood uh, who is a, a bit far from uh, the main city, she bought uh, paracetamol there. You know paracetamol, Eferalgo? Paracetamol. For the Americans out there, that's acetaminophen. Or in English, Tylenol. So, and uh, she, she had a headache, so she was uh, taking it and she's like, Hannah, my headache is not going anywhere. But I'm like, I don't understand. You've been taking Eferagon like, for two days. So let's see what's happening. And I had my own, obviously, that I had bought like in, uh, in South Africa or in France, I don't remember. And we put the two medications into glasses and obviously the color was not the same. So clearly her Eferagon was like a fake one where the level of active ingredients was very low. Uh, this is a type of shenanigans that we are dealing with. And, and still the packaging was the right one. And, you know, so, and by the way, so we have backed with Launch Africa Ventures, a startup called RX All Health in Nigeria, who has uh, put together a device which has the ability to detect uh, fake medicine. Uh, so we're also hoping that in DRC we'll be able to, to back a similar business. Uh, so I guess, yeah, to answer your question, sorry, I talk a lot, but when it comes <laughs> to healthcare in a frontier market in sub-Saharan Africa, you have to, I think it's more efficient to look at health tech and not healthcare to try to uh, unlock some value in the market. And hopefully as those countries grow and as more purchasing power is available, you will be able to, to back, uh, you know, traditional uh, healthcare solutions and hospitals and stuff like that. I certainly hope so. Thank you, Hannah. Is there anything else you wanted to add or to say before we switch over to our rapid fire questions? No, I think, um, yeah, I'm passionate about um, female empowerment, explaining why I'm, I'm trying to back, uh, you know, female founders, passionate about Africa. I love also Francophone Africa, which is an underserved market compared to the rest of the continent. So, so very pleased to be advising and collaborating funds uh, who, are, who are doing just that, having uh, an impact and investing in those frontier markets. So it's always, uh, it's always uh, yeah, rewarding and exciting. Nice. Sounds good. And I don't know if you're part of any particular fund or angel fund that you want to give a small a small pitch for, for, for the audience, if there's someone who's listening. Launch Africa Ventures. Yay. <laughs> Why we Launch Africa back, Ventures? Why? Yes, we have raised $37 million, way above nice. our target, which was originally $15 million. We are only backing seed and pre-series A companies. Uh, we have backed 126 startups since January 2021. Wow. That's exactly. crazy. That's amazing. You know, it's, um, and we only do um, ticket size between $100,000 and $300,000, uh, mainly investing in SAFE. So, through mm-hmm. uh, uh, security, uh, what is it? Uh, securities agreement for future equity. So, it's 80% of our portfolio, 10 to 15% of our portfolio is equity, and the rest is convertible. Uh, only backing, uh, you know, um, tech startups uh, in all sectors who have an impact, an innovative business model uh, in this context, we have investing in Maxi Cash, which is uh, probably one of the largest, if not the largest fintech in DRC, enabling, and in South Africa, enabling a lot of SMEs uh, to collect payment and to receive payment. And those SMEs don't have bank accounts. So we are really try- trying to tackle the issue of uh, the lack of bankarization or the lack of bank accounts uh, in some, uh, you know, frontier markets. So yeah, Launch Africa Ventures is great. And we're also backing a lot of female founders. So I'm pretty proud of my collaboration with the team. They are fantastic, very smart, very sharp, very open-minded. And uh, all of that is uh, translated into uh, the way we have built the portfolio. Amazing. That's great to hear. Hannah, just the last few questions to wrap up our show. These are our rapid fire questions. First question for you, Hannah, is on pitching. As an investor, thinking on the back, thinking back on the past few investments that you've participated in, what's one or two things that really dazzled you about a successful venture that you funded that's a, that's a good one. Um, really, for me, it's when I feel that there is a strong fit or the perfect fit between the profile of the team and the solution that they have put together, right? And by profile of the team, it's a mix of expertise, professional background, personal background, personalities, the way they present, uh, you know, the solution and the way the solution is trying to solve an issue. So when you have this uh, perfect mix and this type of things, you can feel it, or at least in my case, I'm a bit uh, following my gut when it comes to investment. I can feel it after like one or two minutes and I'm like, hey, we are onto something. It's quite exciting. 
So yeah, it's good to have this feeling. I had this feeling very recently with a startup from Cameroon, uh, which is um, which has put together a sort of payment uh, platform for schools, uh, both public and private schools. So now pa- parents can pay uh, online. They can also request a loan if they can't afford to pay the school fees at once. So uh, the startup is partnering with banks who are providing you know loan solutions. So it's very transparent, very easy. Parents are very happy uh, not to have to, to run every month with some cash to try to pay for the school fees. Uh, the schools have much more visibility on their budget, uh, on the way they can spend the money. On... So it's it's quite uh, it's quite uh, transformative, actually, and the startup is making a lot of money. That sounds awesome. Uh, and by the way, the team, uh, four youngsters in their 20s, uh, two women, two girls, two guys. So for me, it's just like the magic combination. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Can you name that startup in Cameroon? Oh, yeah, I can. I can. Innovative uh, can. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there will be, uh, there are finalists. I don't know if you know VC for Africa. Do you know VC mm-hmm. for Africa? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So there are finalists for the VC for Africa uh, sort of um, roadshow, which is taking place in 10 days. So I'm super excited to show that in Cameroon, aka in Central Africa, there are also very attractive startups who are worth, uh, you know, our time. Nice. On the aid front, uh, do you have any guidance that you would give to traditional aid or philanthropists to better support innovation for and from Africa? Yeah, I don't believe in aid. I don't do philanthropy, so I don't know. I mean, you know the usual uh, controversy, uh, if aid uh, or the way it was structured before was helpful, uh, Africa would be fully developed. Uh, I really think that if you want to build a sustainable, long-term uh, you know, um, country and ecosystem, you need to... To, to invest, meaning that uh, if a project or company are sustainable, they will, you know, generate returns and profits that you can share with, with, with the founders. So that my, this is my advice number one. But advice number two, I guess, it's uh, all about uh, finding the right partners in the country in which you operate. Uh, so even in DRC, I make sure that, uh, you know, I partner with other development finance institutions or with local banks or with professional organizations when I deal with, uh, you know, one specific companies, uh, because the more you create your own ecosystem to validate, you know, some of the key assumptions you're making about a, of a business, uh, the, the better informed you will be, the better uh, you will the easier you will um, you, you you will be able to uh, sorry it's easier it will be for you to understand the risk and the challenges of a business opportunity uh, and it will be um, less tricky for you in terms of investment so build your own ecosystem of trusted partners who can assist you when it comes to uh, investing or at least when it comes to providing your aid nice on the advice front, if you could take a step back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I um, don't know. I think um, I think that I'm not where I would like to be in terms of, I would say, personal visibility compared to the work that I have achieved. So... Maybe I would tell myself, try to be a bit less shy when it comes to the quality of your work. Um, but then I don't know. We'll see how it goes. No, actually, uh, what advice? Uh, no, keep, keep doing what you're doing. I think so far, uh, so far, so good. There are things that I wish I had done a bit faster, a bit better. But, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And uh, those, mistakes, those mistakes are, uh, are at the end shaping you into becoming a better impact investor and hopefully a better human being. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm blushing now. Can you see I'm blushing? (laughs) (laughs) I love that first piece of advice that you had. I mean, just because there's so many, uh, you know, strong, competent, smart women uh, that feel shy about telling the world what they've done. And one of the things I hope to do with this podcast is create a space where where young women can hear from other accomplished people, just like what is possible and what's out there. So I, I think that's a great piece of advice, Hannah. Thanks for mentioning that. Would you like to offer a shout out to someone who has inspired or guided your work? Okay. I don't want it to sound um, too uh, dark, <laughs> uh, but no, but um, no, actually my dad, um, unfortunately, he uh, passed away in 2009. And it's oh, quite funny because I don't talk. Yeah. Well, 
So I uh, usually don't talk about him ever. I have spoken about that uh, for a very long time. I was uh, very close to my dad. And anyway, the, uh, short, uh, the long story being short, he was a heart surgeon. He passed away quite young when he was willing to come back to Congo. Uh, and last year would have been the year where he would have retired. So our long-term plan was to be uh, back together in DRC and uh, to do some um, impact work together. So unfortunately, he's not around with me, but uh, hopefully from wherever he's uh, looking at me, he's kind of, uh, you know, well, proud yet, I'm not sure. There are still a lot of things that I need to do, but uh, hopefully you can see that uh, I'm trying to, to do something here. I'm sure he's proud of all the things that you've done, Hannah, and I'm sure he's looking out for you in the years ahead. So on the reading front, what's one resource you use to stay up to date on what's going on in your industry? I guess, uh, first of all, uh, WhatsApp groups, right? There are a lot of yes. investors uh, WhatsApp groups <laughs> where uh, people share a lot of uh, news articles, have healthy or not so healthy uh, conversations about the state of investments in Africa, in East Africa, in the RC. So uh, you get actually a lot of information from uh, this type of source. Then I always make sure that I, that I read the sort of uh, generalist newspaper, whether it's uh, sometimes the Financial Times or um, like uh, The Guardian or, I don't know, a French newspaper or Congolese newspaper. So I would spend uh, 20 minutes per day at least doing that. And then, yeah, VC for Africa, I mean, all those websites who are dedicated to um, venture capital investment in Africa, uh, you have VC for Africa, uh, what else? I don't know, there are a bunch of them. Uh, but I guess for me, it's more helpful to uh, kind of wait on those WhatsApp groups to also see what other people are sharing and focusing on. Yeah, I mean, I need to get on your WhatsApp groups, clearly. <laughs> Hannah, last question for you, and this one's just for fun. Can you recommend a book, a blog, or a podcast that you listen to in your own time? Uh, I don't know. I watch TV shows a lot, actually, on Netflix, on my phone, in my bed, between 10 p.m. and midnight. <laughs> <laughs> What are you watching these days? I don't know, Suits. <laughs> I think uh, I've been watching it for the third time, but I love Suits. Nice. Yeah, this one I'm learning awesome. a lot. I'm like, okay, what would Harvey do? I have the minister, <laughs> my bank, CEO of the company is not giving me his financial statements. Uh, my investment <laughs> is at two thousand numbers. How does it work? <laughs> what would Harvey do? <laughs> love it. <laughs> um, Amazing. Otherwise, oh. funny also, I've discovered a lot of, uh, how do you say, like a rom-com, but from South Korea. So I think I've watched huh. all the... Yeah, I know. They're no way. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's so random. <laughs> and, and, and if you look at the TV shows on Netflix, uh, South Korea, the girls are wearing very short skirts to work. Nobody <laughs> is making any comments. So I was like, I need to move there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Because I've been kicked out of uh, one or two ministers here in the RC because uh, my um, dress was a bit too short. Above the knees, like, yeah, so we know you're supposed to be the minister, but you're not going anywhere. Go home, change, and maybe come back. Oh, man. <laughs> Ridiculous. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us on the show today. It was amazing to have you here. Thank you so much, Romina, and chat to you soon. And let me know if you have any more questions. Cheers. Thank you for your work. I hope you enjoyed today's little foray into the world of private financing. Hannah gave several examples that I thought were really illuminating. Let's start with private equity financing and the role that that played in financing the build-out of cell phone towers across the continent, without which the entire mobile phone revolution wouldn't be possible. She mentioned her role on the investment committee of Launch Africa Ventures, a venture capital fund that helped raise $3 million in seed funding to enable telemedicine through Waspito in Cameroon. And through her angel investing work, Hannah has helped get off the ground initiatives like Innovative Clan, which is streamlining the payment of school fees through mobile technology. To learn more about Hannah and these various funds, check out our show notes on aidevolved.com. And if you like what you heard, give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>